0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
1: Beloit is kind of like what you would expect a Hollywood version of a small town in southern Wisconsin to be.
0: Alexandra Stevenson is a reporter at The New York Times. Normally, she covers China, not southern Wisconsin. But she had family in Beloit, which used to be a kind of rundown Rust Belt city. And in 2016, around Thanksgiving, she went out to visit her uncle.
1: And one day he drove us around and he was super excited. Talking about this billionaire named Diane who had bought up this building and that, who built this other thing and started an international film festival. And his take was that she had made the town so much better. And my husband and I were like, who is this woman?
0: From the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Future Perfect, a show about trying to do good. I'm Dylan Matthews. This season, we're looking at big philanthropists and the questions their donations raise. Today, Diane Hendricks. She's made a lot of money, enough to make her the richest self-made woman in America and she's used that money to shape the world around her. Some of her influence is very clear. She's almost single-handedly built a new downtown for one small Wisconsin city. But she's also had a more complicated influence on that city and on her state. Her story leads us to ask a fundamental question about big donors. How do we know if a donor is helping or hurting the world? But first, Let's start with a really basic question. Who is Diane Hendricks? After Alexandra's trip to Beloit, she started trying to figure that out. I found an article where she
1: described her childhood and kind of her background. And so she grew up on a dairy farm with eight sisters. And at the age of 17, she got pregnant. And so she had a short marriage, which brought her to Janesville.
0: That's a city near Beloit.
1: She worked at the Parker Pen Factory, which was at the time a factory where women just like sat in long lines assembling fountain pens.
0: Hendricks and her husband eventually split up, and she had to figure out a way to make ends meet on her own. She went into real estate and got a real estate license, and she met another man.
1: A roofing contractor named Ken Hendricks, who she later married. He was kind of a plucky young guy, as she describes it.
0: The two of them started a roofing company together, and they got really rich. Like, billions of dollars rich. Alexandra learns about all this and decides that she wants to do a story. So she reaches out.
1: I spent several months when I got back to New York trying to convince Diane, well, actually her assistant, Kim, to talk to me. And they were pretty reluctant.
0: We also reached out to Kim. She and Diane declined to speak with us. But Diane did eventually agree to talk to Alexandra.
1: I don't know if you want a little sense of kind of like what she is like, what my impression of her was. I'd when i that. Ne- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's quite an intense person to be in the company of because she's very small, like she's thin, but she has these piercing blue eyes. And we get right into the fact that she doesn't like media attention and that she's not that well known. And as soon as I mentioned this, she just looks straight at me and says, keep it that way, you know, and I'm sort of like, okay, well, I'm here to interview you for a story about you. So that's going to be hard. Um, (laughs) But then pretty soon, she sort of opened up and said, listen, you know, I love Beloit and I want to tell you about what I'm doing.
0: So, Beloit. Today on Discover Wisconsin, we're getting to know the many diverse sides of Beloit. Come along with us and expect the unexpected. Last year, a tourism show released what's basically an extended infomercial for the city. You get shots of people kayaking and dancing to live music. And right at the very beginning, the host acknowledges that Beloit hasn't always been this way.
1: I think this area has changed so much over the past 10 or 20 years. So if you've been to Beloit, you may think you know this area, but it's worth taking a trip back to see what they've done here over the past couple of decades. Beloit was one of these towns that kind of revolved around one industry. There was a foundry downtown that was the big employer. In the heyday, I think they employed more than 7,000 people.
0: The foundry specialized in paper-making machines, which are these huge metal contraptions that turn wood pulp into usable paper.
1: But in 1999, the foundry went bankrupt. And this huge complex, which is about the size of 15 football fields, was suddenly just emptied.
0: Things got bleak in town.
1: Decayed buildings. There was like this big half-empty mall on the outskirts of town. There was... A bankrupt country club, there was a rusting foundry, it was really falling apart.
0: Enter Diane and Ken Hendricks. They started buying up building after building, but...
1: I don't get the impression that initially they had this plan to turn Beloit into their own city.
0: They didn't even originally focus on Beloit. They were based in another city that suffered from a closing plant, Janesville. There's a story that Diane Hendricks likes to tell about trying to buy a sugar beet factory in Janesville. The bank there wouldn't give her a loan. But a bank in Beloit did.
1: That's when they really started, according to Diane, that's when they started thinking about giving back to Beloit.
0: And they definitely gave back.
1: It was almost like she and Ken were playing SimCity. She literally took the library from where it was downtown and then moved it. And put it inside of the failing mall that was on the edge of town she like replaced the performing arts center beloit really is the perfect weekend getaway they're constantly hosting lots of music events and uh, art events she put up a sushi restaurant like a high quality burger joint like all these businesses. The Beloit farmer's market really comes alive every Saturday. You're going to have tons of vendors, thousands of people. There are coffee shops with great coffee.
0: She turned the old foundry into this hub for tech companies, and she sent people out into Illinois and other states to try to get other tech companies to come in.
1: Right in the center, there's one red brick building, and I think it's just apartments. But at the top, there's etched in stone her name, D.M. Hendrix, and it's just, it's just kind of interesting as you drive in because you're like, mm, right, <laughs> this is the person who owns this town.
0: Beloit isn't perfect, but Diane Hendrix's philanthropy has clearly shaped the city. It's visible in the buildings and the parks and the film festival that she funded. But that's not the whole story. Other donations Hendrix made have also shaped Beloit. In fact, those donations have shaped every town and every city in Wisconsin. That's after the break. It's really easy to see the physical changes that Diane Hendricks has made in Beloit. But her money isn't just going into tech startups and coffee shops. It's also flowing into politics. And that's shaped Beloit, and in fact the entire state, in a way that's harder to trace. A decade ago, Hendricks was already donating to Republican causes, and had been for years. But even watchdogs hadn't heard of her.
2: Well, it's funny. Diane Hendricks, of course, has uh, been in Wisconsin for for many, many decades, but I first heard about her way back in uh, 2011.
0: This is Mary Batari. She lives in Wisconsin, and she works for the Center for Media and Democracy there. Part of her job involves researching and reporting on corporate dark money groups and political donors. But even though this is her area of expertise, it took her a long time to realize what Diane Hendricks was doing.
2: She got on our radar because of this incredible discussion she had with Scott Walker.
0: Quick rewind. It's 2011.
2: We are calling in Wisconsin for the Republican Scott Walker.
0: Scott Walker is the new governor of Wisconsin.
2: And he was elected to office as sort of a mild-mannered guy who was going to create jobs. Hi, I'm Scott Walker. This is my 1998 Saturn. It's got over 100,000 miles on it. This is my lunch. I remember his ads had him carrying a brown paper bag to lunch, you know, that kind of fellow. So I can save some money to spend on, you know, the more important things
0: in life. If you've had it with big government like I am. But about a month after he came into office, a huge controversy erupted. Good evening. That rumbling you hear is coming from the state of Wisconsin, where the governor says he will sign legislation into law as soon as possible that would strip nearly all collective bargaining rights from the state's public workers. This is being called one of the strongest blows to the power of unions in years. At the time, there were about 63,000 public employees enrolled in unions in the state. There were union members like teachers and social workers living in Beloit. This was a huge deal for them. The consequences are lower wages for everybody. But Scott Walker's plan did go forward, and the number of public employees and unions fell by more than half.
2: It wasn't until some time later that uh, we found that he had slipped up. He was caught on tape by a documentary filmmaker talking to a woman we never heard of, called Diane Hendricks.  —
0: — Hey, Governor Walker. — How are you? Good to see you. — Oh, no. They met at Diane Hendricks' company headquarters, and everyone's wearing suits. Scott has a nice tie on, and Diane has a little American flag pin. —
2: And Diane goes up to him, and she go, and gives him a big hug, and she goes, Scott, Scott. — Any chance we'll ever get to be a completely red state and work
0: on these unions? — Oh, yeah. — And become a right to work?
2: Well, — Well, in fact, the big What thing can we do
0: to help you? As it turned out, there was a lot that Diane Hendricks could do to help Scott Walker. He was in trouble, because when you do something that hurts nearly 63,000 people in your state, they get very, very angry. For six days now, all eyes have been on Madison, Wisconsin, where tens of thousands of impassioned protesters have been marching on the state capitol. The protesters were fighting the anti-union bill. So when the anti-union bill still went through, people wanted a recall election. By January of 2012, they collected more than one million signatures. The recall was happening, and Scott Walker had to fight to keep his office. And he needed money. Tens of millions of dollars spent on this hotly contested, nationally watched recall election. Millions of dollars were flying around, including the biggest single campaign donation in the recall. In fact, the biggest single campaign donation in the history of Wisconsin. A donation from Diane Hendricks. She cut Scott Walker a $510,000 check. Scott Walker remains Wisconsin's governor. Walker winning the recall vote last night against Tom Barrett with
2: 53% of the vote.
0: The half a million dollars from Diane Hendricks, along with money from other wealthy donors, meant that Scott Walker was able to blanket the state with ads and way outspend his opponent. Diane Hendricks wasn't directly responsible for the union-busting policies that affected tens of thousands of Wisconsin workers. But the money she donated helped those policies stay in place. —
2: And we all were like, who is this woman, Diane Hendricks? And then we found out a lot more about her. —
0: Mary started tracking Diane Hendricks. And in 2016, she noticed that Diane Hendricks wasn't just donating to Scott Walker. In that single election cycle, Hendricks gave more than $4.5 million to Republican candidates, parties, and PACs. She funded a PAC in Wisconsin called Reform America. Its goal was to tear down Hillary Clinton and Senate candidate Russ Feingold. And it peppered the state with TV ads, more than Trump's campaign put up. C is for Clinton, whose campaign is sliding, and C is for the classified emails she's hiding. Both Clinton and Feingold lost, despite being ahead in the polls and despite Wisconsin having voted for Democrats in every presidential election since 1988, Trump won by fewer than 23,000 votes. It's not inconceivable that Hendricks' money made that difference. —C is for cash, as in pay to play. Don't you see she is lying in so many ways?
1: —Reform America Fund is responsible for this message.
0: When she wasn't working on campaigns, Hendricks also worked with a couple of conservative fundraising groups, like the Koch Network and the Bradley Foundation. And Mary's actually looked into the Bradley Foundation before.
2: We discovered all sorts of things. We discovered a new, like, $200 million fund to build right-wing infrastructure across America. We discovered a sort of dedicated stream of funding to anti-union activities across America.
0: The Bradley Foundation also gave $6 million to anti-Muslim groups. Islamophobia. And a bunch of money to groups that deny the scientific consensus on global warming.
2: Climate change deniers. You know, they're a big institution with a very big footprint, and she is now part of that.
0: To be specific, Diane Hendricks is a director on the Bradley Foundation board.
2: And while all this is going on, all this money, big money is flying around, she failed to pay her income taxes in Wisconsin between 2010 and 2014. So she's a lady with very interesting priorities.
0: Mary Batari has spent a lot of time untangling all the threads of Diane Hendricks's donations figuring out who and what she's given money and time to, and what those organizations and politicians do with that money. But even with all that work, it's hard to pin down exactly what influence Diane Hendricks has had. It's like she has this hidden hand, a hand that gives money to people and policies that are weakening unions in her city and all across the state. But meanwhile, her other hand is way more visible. It's giving money to film festivals and building up her city. And that's the hand that people in Beloit focus on.
1: I thought going to Beloit that, like, depending on where on the political spectrum people stood, that if I spoke to certain people, that they would feel very strongly for or against Diane. And it wasn't at all that way.
0: That's Alexandra Stevenson again.
1: Anybody I spoke to, whether they identified as Democrat or Republican, sort of all felt the same way, that it was a huge deal that Diane had put so much money and time and effort into making Beloit a place that mattered, because for so long, to many of them, Beloit didn't matter to anyone.
0: This split between visible and hidden hands. It's not unique to Beloit or to Diane Hendricks. We see it a lot in philanthropy. Just look at Andrew Carnegie. In the first episode of this season, we saw that his money helped build up a lot of things too. 1,689 libraries across the United States, a music hall, a university. Those are the things we remember him for, his visible hand. We spend less time talking about the thousands of people who died or were maimed in his mills. People who worked 12 hours a day for pennies around molten ore, sparks, and flames. That's his hidden hand. And this is also true for Diane Hendricks. Philanthropists can do a lot of good, but their giving can act as a fig leaf, covering up harm they're doing elsewhere. This episode was produced and co-reported by Bird Pinkerton. Our editor is Amy Drozdowska. Our senior producer is Jillian Weinberger. We were mixed by Jared Paul. Our music is by APM, Chris Zabriskie, Poddington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. We had a clip from 371 Productions' excellent documentary, As Goes Janesville. It was directed by Brad Lichtenstein, who's also helpful for this episode. Future Perfect is made possible through a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation. To read more of our reporting on effective altruism, check out fox.com future-perfect. Next week on Future Perfect, many foundations out there were set up to last until the end of time. And in a democracy, that's a problem.
2: These zombie entities that could live forever— were seen as very disconcerting and not necessarily appropriate for a country that was supposed to represent the wishes of the people.
0: There are lots of undead donors stumbling around the country, dropping bits of their fortunes as they go. But it hasn't always been this way.